Good people of Los Angeles, welcome back to the backyard. FCFC Pod, FSA, FSA, Alicia Rodriguez, a colleague, a writer, a professor of all things football in this country, and an academic secretly that I didn't know, but I guess we already all knew that because she was creating the archive, guys. The archive. The tapestry. The tapestry. Uh, Yeah. This is a great interview. We've wanted her out to have her come on the show for a while, and we discuss all the things you want to hear. Slim, why don't you hit him with the warning? Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the backyard of Dweezy's place in Expo Park. There are a lot of cars driving by today. Uh, the Pendulce man pulled up, helicopters flying over, and as per usual, I do have a potty mouth. I do intend to use it, so if you're at work or if someone misguided you and told you this was a family-friendly fam- podcast, someone lied, um... You should probably turn off your podcast right now. Yeah. You dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. FCFC. Welcome to the FCFC pod, where two scholars and a dickhead look at the world through a black and gold tinted lens. I'm your host, Slim. Sitting across from me is Big Dweez. Yo. To my left is Josh Sexy Spice. Deja vu right here. We had to do this again because I'm dumb. (laughs) And we have a very special guest in the backyard this evening. Um, A fellow narrator of the story that we like to tell every week. Uh, So we wanted her to come back here and share her story with us. Miss Alicia Rodriguez from Angels on Parade is in the backyard this evening. Cheers. Cheers, 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 cheers. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Oh, yeah. So Alicia was one of, like, the first people I wanted to have on the podcast Mm -hmm. when we started talking. And um, because she's so busy and she does a lot of things in and around the universe of football, it's been, it took us a little bit while for our schedules to connect, but we're here. I'm super happy that you made it. Because all I really want to do is talk about Chinese football. But yes. before that, yes. <laughs> and before we talk about Angels on Parade and sort of the, the new role you have uh, with SB Nation now, I do want to hear your first football memory. Yeah, it's interesting because I think um, if you listen to the show, you kind of get used to the prompt, right? Like that's, that's the entry to the, to the conversation. But for me... Like, I've had this story in my back pocket since I got started in soccer, right? Mm. Like, 94 World Cup, I was growing up in Michigan, Um, my parents were working in Pontiac, Michigan, which is where the Pontiac Silverdome is located, well, it was located at the time, Mm. Um, and there were all these signs going up in, like, the year running up to the, the World Cup of, the World Cup's coming, the World Cup's coming. They're trying to make a big deal out of it, but at that time, you know, it wasn't that popular. You know, I was in a sports growing up, but it wasn't, soccer wasn't part of that, like, landscape. 
so um, my dad was working at a hospital and they had like an annual raffle for car, like they would give away a car every year. Whoa, nice. And that year they did a car and two tickets to the World Cup and he won the tickets to the World Cup at the Silverdome USA versus Switzerland, which is like one of the seminal games in U.S. soccer history. Mm-hmm. However, uh, two tickets. I have a sister and a mom, so my parents got to go to the game. I got to watch at home. Uh, Whack! <laughs> got to watch at my grandparents' house. Uh, my cousin got married that day, too, so we were just like, it was chaos all day. My parents went to the game, ran home so they could, we could all go to the wedding. My parents come home and they're like, yeah, that was weird, you know? It was interesting. Um, We sat with some Swiss fans. They were really crazy. Uh And, like, you know what's funny is, like, like, when we think of, like, crazy fans, we think of, like, Dutch fans and Mexican fans. Like, you don't think of Swiss fans as, like, super crazy. Sure, not necessarily the first option. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But they were sort of, like, just getting immersed into the culture for the first time, like, dropped out of nowhere. Mm And uh, meanwhile, I'm watching this game at home. I'm a huge sports fan. Um, I remember when I was, I was, I watched the game until halftime, and then at halftime, I ran outside and I started doing throw-ins because I knew how to play basketball. Uh-huh. I knew how to like, I I, I played t-ball and softball. Like, I knew how to throw a ball, but I didn't know how to kick a ball. So I was like, all right, I'm going to start doing throw-ins. So I'm, like, just doing throw-ins. At least doing trespasses from there. From so some, teams, some teams do have throw-in specialists. Yeah, that probably would have been my destiny. But uh, it was a little, little too late. But, um, yeah, and so the, the ironic thing is, like, that stoked the fire for me, even though I didn't go to the game. Um, you know, my parents <coughs> had a good time, but... It wasn't like my dad suddenly became a super fan. Or, I mean, yeah. it was sort of like, well, that was fun. Okay, on to the next life experience. Mm. Um, but I kind of had that little, you know, that, like, spark of interest mm. from then on. And then after the internet came around, uh, there was suddenly an avenue to, like, actually follow the sport for the mm-hmm. first time, at least for me. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of took off from there. But that was... The 94 World Cup, like so many people, I think, of my generation, it was definitely the the moment for me to, to really get into the sport. Seems like a pretty consistent story with yeah. a lot of our guests. So but you guys don't remember it. Neither of you, right? Um, not wasn't a part of too it. well. Like, I think that might have been the first... I, I think that might have been when I first... Like, my dad taught me a little bit about, like, Korean pride, in a sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where I don't know who Korea was playing might have been America or I don't know who it was but like I, I said I was gonna root for the other team because I like the color of the jersey and then my dad gave me the craziest looking lecture like from that <laughs> from that like you're Korean like and then my sister asked like if USA and Korea played like who would you root for and I was like USA and my dad likes it <laughs> it's one of those that's like we learned from a young age that we put the country first but I have a question for you when the internet did come around um, what what did you start following? So I started following, well, I remember the 98 World Cup. I was, like, on dial-up um, looking at all the players. Like, I literally just went through the players. And I remember, like, the Brazilian team. Oh, Kaka, that's a that's an interesting name. Yeah. You know, like, kind of that sort of thing. Uh-huh. 
Um, and then when I went to college uh, a few years later, I started following the Premier League because ESPN Soccernet had like recaps of what was happening. Mm-hmm. I still enter Soccernet when I go to yeah. ESPN. I don't do ESPN FC. I still think I, I and it redirects. Uh. It's just a habit. Yeah. Yeah, and I started playing fantasy Premier League. Um, and it was pretty easy in those days. Like, it was very simple. It was, like, five points for a goal, three points for an assist, like, whatever, three points for a clean sheet. So it was really straightforward. So I was like, oh, this is easy. Okay, I can do this. Um, but that so was, what year was that when you were playing fantasy fantasy soccer? Like, 2002. Got it. Like huh. It's way is, more complicated. Is that on Yahoo or ESPN again? or? I was doing it on ESPN. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so who was simple. your Premier League club? I don't have one. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. Is like, when did when did any affinity or affiliation come into the mix? Like, you're sort of exploring this huge universe without like any much orientation, right? Because your right. folks and no one in your family was affiliated with any clubs or anything, right? Yeah. Um. So my first club, I guess, would be in China when I lived in China. Mm. Um, I lived in a city called Tianjin, which is fairly close to Beijing but it's like nobody thinks of it as like a major city mm-hmm. you know it's sort of like a industrial backwater basically are they known for their dumplings there um the bready ones okay yeah the bready dump the um gobuli that was their mcdonald's uh dumpling like fast food chain like, <laughs> okay but and if, and if you've ever looked at the chinese flag <laughs> here we go aside, here we go there's the four so there's the main star and then there's the four stars over it sure right? yeah so the four stars rec- represent the four municipalities of china yeah and it's beijing shanghai chongqing the city where i lived and uh-huh. Tianjin. that's the fourth municipality oh. and then the big star sort of like represents like the whole nation i love that i thought so you were gonna are, say so like like in the u.s we have like Washington D.C. is like the only yep. like, directly federal controlled municipality. In China, uh, they have four. Yeah, so, they're big over there. So it's like it is a big <laughs> and significant city. And I recently learned that my favorite snack in Chongqing, which is called a mahua, it's like a twisted. It looks like a braid. And mm. It's like this doughy braid that you uh-huh. eat with hot pot. I was like, yeah, Chongqing mahua, Chongqing mahua. And then someone's like, no, dude, it's Tianjin mahua. Like Tianjin has the best. Um, so. But it's funny because. Been. Tianjin is not known as a food, um, like, like basically every part of China otherwise is like, they're known for this or that or the other thing, and like, Tianjin, everybody's like, oh, it's garbage food, basically, so mm. I kind of didn't get lucky in that regard, but I had a lot of hot pot while I was in Tianjin, and it was really good. How long so. were you there? Uh, I was there for several months, I was studying, um, Chinese, and, uh, yeah, was like on a study abroad kind of thing. So. Okay. And you did go to C League action. I watch on TV. Oh, okay, you watch on TV. Yeah. Um, was it called the C League at that time? Yeah, it was. A, I think it was, it was a Super League at that Super time. League, yeah. Um, but yeah, my team was uh, is Tianjin Teda, which has been supplanted by another team in the meantime. But at that time, they were like the only team there. <coughs> um, yeah, and I got like a crash course in. Corruption in Chinese soccer, and uh, yeah, um, like they've straightened things out quite a bit over the years, and um, you know, it's obviously gotten a lot larger profile, um, like globally in the meantime. But yeah, yeah, that's where I started. It's it's interesting. I mean, we've talked about going to a 
Korean game before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I've never, despite all the trips to Japan, I've never been to a J-League game, although, shout out to Ipe, I want to go watch uh, Hiroshima Senfriche. Yeah. The Expo original from Ipe, Hiroshima. Ipe. Plan to do that, hopefully this spring, but... Um, yeah, when I was living in Chongqing, I like went to a few games. Like part of the part of my daily life after year one in China, year two was like a lot of football. A lot of like I need to run around and kick something because this living here is like absurd, you know. <laughs> and uh, I played with like obviously like a bunch of foreigners, and you have like everybody from like people from the consulate to uh, you know just like your average English teachers to students, and um, like several of the times we would go to the like the Olympic Stadium they called it uh, in Chongqing to watch uh, Chongqing Lifan is the name of the team which is Lifan like in I don't know in Korea didn't Korea teams at one point get named a lot of them af- after motor companies and like other companies that were famous in Korea yeah, Book Motors. yeah, yeah there's yeah, like right. a there's like a Samsung yeah. team and Lee a Hyundai Fon, team Lifan makes motorcycles gotcha so <clears throat> that was based in Chongqing and then the same thing kind of happened where like suddenly the government while I was living there was like oh yeah we're just gonna like throw in another team called like Chongqing FC mm-hmm. and it was like super whack and super <coughs> like devoid of any like there was no like symbolism or meaning they just had red and gold uniforms and like it was just sort of there and I think they've been since been relegated and they sort of seem to have given up on them but uh, Chong, uh, Chongqing Lifan had like several pretty high profile players and some of my Brazilian friends like they had this player Dario Conca who mm. was actually an Argentine player who played in the Brazilian league so I think he played for Corinthians I, at the time when he was transferred I believe it was like one of the top seven or five transfer fees in history wow. um, and like people would wig out like you could go watch this guy like in this like absurd like strange little neighborhood in Chongqing mm-hmm. um, and it was like kind of this cool entry because they were starting to compete with MLS and these other leagues for like these high profile players and still are. Mm. And I always think it's like, yeah, it's interesting because I hear like MLS commentators or other people like criticizing like the Chinese league for like, you know, undercutting them or whatever. But they're just trying to grow their league too. Mm. You know, like they're, there's corruption for sure, but like they're, they want the same things we want. They love football and they want to see big name players. And yeah, it's interesting because I, I think. I don't know. Did Guangzhou Evergrade now win the Asian Champions League at one point? Yes. Yeah, they they right? won a few years ago, and I think they got close pretty recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they're really good. Yeah. I mean, Xi, Xi Jinping, Xi Dada, the president of China, like, loves football, and he mm. wants, like, to promote the country, the sport in the whole country. So it'll be interesting to watch. But certainly the games were very different than other games I, I had gone to, but I've... So I'd like, like to go back and see. So when you were in China, was football the big sport? Or, like, because when I was there, basketball was the big sport. Yeah. And it was sort of like, well, soccer's here, but, like, basketball's where it's at. Yeah. Everybody was doing basketball. I wonder, and I wonder how regional it is um, in China. But, you know, you always hear, like, in northern China, people are taller, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> everyone, everyone will yeah. say that, like, you know, like, without, like, it's, like, it's a hard and fast rule. Like, oh, they're from the north, they're tall. Sure. You know, like, that's why. Uh, and I did find that like basketball tended to be more popular in like places like Beijing and in like Chengdu and Chongqing and even like southern China like where people supposedly aren't as tall like soccer seemed to be more popular and among like my students you know I was teaching at a university there um, they so many of them were really into soccer like I would say soccer was more popular on the whole it was somehow more global but like basketball had sort of established itself so there was you know 
plenty of people who, who like that sport as well. And like a lot of people, when you find out you're from Los Angeles, they want to talk about Kobe Bryant, oh, yeah. which we talked about a couple episodes back. But but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting the ways that like that sport will and won't find its home in that country. I know in like Korea, it's it is number one, right? Like uh, as no. a team sport. I think baseball still number one. Baseball really? somehow, yeah. yeah. Oh. Alicia, what was it like for you? Do you feel like there the the basketball was overwhelmingly the topic of, of sports conversation there, or was it more, was it lo- locality and soccer culture? Yeah, because that's when Yao Ming was popping, right? Yeah, it yeah. was basketball. It basketball. was all basketball. I mean, like, everything was set up where I lived. There were, you know, like, dozens of courts, so you could play pretty easily. And I don't recall coming across the field to, mm. like, play soccer at any point. Hmm. Um, but I think it's probably changed. Like you were saying with she, like really, really interested in the sport. I'm sure they've shifted priorities a little bit, so it's probably a little bit more of a mix now. But yeah, when I was there, it was it was all about basketball, and I'm a basketball fan. But um, like when I was in China, I watched, I watched the Euros and I watched the Copa America, and at that time, those weren't even on TV in the U.S. So I got to watch like <laughs> tournaments that I did I wouldn't have been Sick. able to watch otherwise. So. <coughs> Just turn the cable on, and it's like right there. Yeah, it's it was Copa like CCTV America. four had, yeah. you know. They do have like a wide arrangement of sports available, and I would I would say like in Chongqing, I even found like really large EPL group followings. Like there was a Chongqing Gunners that I would go watch games with, and there's mm. probably like thirty or forty of them. And I there were all these like underground like FIFA yeah. competition parties with some of the guys <laughs> that I played with, you know. So it was like it was on the ascendancy, and you know I think like want that desire by China to like want to participate in the world's everything whether it's through film music whatever like they want to also participate in its games and I think basketball soccer so I bet one thing that's consistent whether you went to China right now 10 years ago 20 years ago whatever is the amount of outdoor ping pong courts oh, oh yeah so those, ping pong dude those are everywhere and you get hosed there's this there's this way that they play like quick pickup where everyone just like goes usually like sharing the same paddles and dude it's like the guys like you know, are smoking a cigarette in one hand, and then like you play to six, like yeah. just the first to six points, and then you're off. Like yeah. it just you get six. I mean, points. Don't don't even try the, the Dude, grandmas got, and grandpas there. I would bro. get destroyed out there. Totally. I'm not bad, and I like spent some time like seriously playing and like training with some same, of my students. Same, same. I was decent, right? And but you you're smashing on these grandmas. You're just spiking it, and they're just like, "You're a bitch. Yeah. You're a bitch. <laughs> you ain't shit. You ain't shit." It's it's unreal. Are like, they? Uh, is it? Are people wearing athletic attire there, or is it? Am I, yeah, just, well, just think of your grandma in their sweats, it just like, like dude, some guy like that's just like eating lunch or like smoking or like you know doing any activity imaginable, who just like walks over yeah. and hoses you. Yeah. Like it, I remember the kids. It was the kids who were usually the hustle artists. Who, there'd be like a nine-year-old. I only played like, grandmas <laughs> and grandpas, and they fucked me up. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, yeah. man. So if that ever happens with soccer, um, they're going to win the World Cup. Yeah. <laughs> if they can focus yeah. that energy yeah. into, into pick up soccer. That's an interesting thing, though, because we, um, I think the way that China and the globalized market has been received by different sports bodies and, like, popular and powerful institutions, like, David Stern is famous because that, that was, I mean, rest in peace to David Stern as well, but he was famous because he wanted to make China the next frontier of growing basketball and was very... Um, kind of openly courting them as like let's grow this game there like that's the future of our game um as a global sport and um soccer is i think 
through multiple different iterations has become really complicated and also I think quite negative still I think in terms of like when Oscar went over there right or Hulk went over there guys fairly in the prime of the career in the premiership or in Portugal Lino went there and then he went to Barcelona and then he went to Barcelona <laughs> that? that was like one exactly. of the transfer routes in Volta right and it just it I mean all the stuff about mercenary mercenary yeah. kind of talent going overseas and stuff like that and I think in the midst of that, what you're saying before about they're just trying to grow the sport there, and that's yeah. the most that's a clear cut way. If you listen to some of the commentary and just put like a different name in front of it, like whether it's I remember like specifically Landon Donovan once saying something Boo. like on air about like what the Chinese league was doing and how it was like, and I was just like, if you just like deleted his name and put like a European name, they could have that same quote could have been about like MLS or like it's a retirement league. But they're like ex- putting these exorbitant prices on these players. They're, they're, they're not trying over there. They're just cashing a check. And it's yeah, just, yeah. Uh, hello. Like, hello, <laughs> Landon. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it's silly because, like, uh, I guess you're competing over the same pool of players in some ways. But I know that all the regulations there are changing, and they were trying to, like, sell. I read something about them trying to, like, have to sell a ton of players to meet some new quotas or whatever. But yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I think they're trying to beef up the actual, like, domestic player pool. So... I mean, it's like the it's the same conundrum as MLS, right? Like, we want our domestic players to get good enough so that they can compete on the internet, you know, on the international mm-hmm. level. But like, we also want the best possible product right now for our leagues. Right. Like, how do we reconcile the two? Mm-hmm. And well, even England deals with that. Yeah. I mean, I've you hear like thousands of old crusty English people like, we need to win the World Cup again. Like, why are we just playing the English boys? And they're like, yeah, but like, you could have the best players in the world. What is it going to be? I don't know. It has to be one or the other. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's, I think in any good system, you want a balance of the two, right? Mm-hmm. And they can all learn from each other. Like, you would hope that, like, the international players can show these younger players or the emerging pool, like, how it's done abroad. Yeah. And they can borrow and take what works rather than having to play guessing games. Although North Korea does a pretty good job sometimes <laughs> when they come through. Yep. <laughs> and they don't want to get any players, right? North Korea refused to to give the TV rights to when they're hosting against South Korea in the friendly, which is like the first time in a long time, and that was a big political, they've used it as a political device before. But anyway, I want to know like how, Alicia, you got from covering or learning about Chinese corruption in, in domestic Chinese soccer into the the maze that is MLS and how you became to understand wait, wait. that. Before we get into that, because I also want to hear Jeez, that. Jeez, where are we going? <laughs> We've spent 40 minutes all on these, China. Doing for all these years, are you... Are you are you a player or like did you love sports like only in like a spectation mode? Are you playing this game, that game? Are you getting pulled in different directions with someone who like love things, or is this all like I'm just like a fiend for this this game and I start watching it and absorbing it that way? Uh, okay, so I played sports growing up. I played basketball and softball, and then I took up tennis in high school because I wanted to get a letter. Sick. Yeah, I mean, it was just like the easiest way to get a letter in my school. You get a jacket. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't get a jacket. I got the letter, though. Okay, mm-hmm. let us what go. I wanted. Um, but I never played soccer, really, hardly at all. So, yeah. But even so, I'm pretty much obsessed with soccer. Like, mm-hmm. um, my daughter and I play games where we read each other's minds, and she's like, uh, Mom, I'm going to guess what you're thinking about right now. <laughs> I'm like, all right, go ahead. And she's like, okay, think about something. Is it soccer? <laughs> and honestly, like, sometimes, you know, I'm just messing around, and I'm like, yep, it is. But, like, sometimes I'm, like, thinking about soccer, and I'm just conscious of it all that, you know, oh, yep, you're right. I'm thinking about soccer right now. <laughs> yep, it's true. You got me. So it's a li- I mean, I think in general I'm a sports, you know, I like sports, but something about 
this sport like hooked me in a way that I don't I don't really understand but mm. I mean I just yeah, I can't get enough of it. So yeah, what do you? I mean, I know you said you can't understand it, but to delve a little deep, like what? What do you think is that something about it that that keeps on keeps you drawn to the sport? It's diverse. Um, you know, I can watch a game in Latin America, and I can watch a game in Europe, and I can watch a game in North America, and. I can check out the highlights of what's happening in Asia, like mm. in a matter of hours. Um, women play at a high level. Mm. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, some of it is just like it's, I don't, you know, it's just like essential. Like I don't really get it, but it's just I just like it. But then, yeah, I mean, I, for a while I liked hockey. Um, you know, I grew up in Michigan, so, like, the Red Wings were really big. And I think that hockey and soccer have a lot in common. Mm -hmm. And I think that hockey can get really frantic at times. And soccer can show you the same kind of play but be a little more, like, fluid and beautiful, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just sort of, like, I don't know why. I, like, I don't know if I kind of thought it would be sort of a phase or something but if anything it's just gotten like more and more amplified over time uh -huh. i don't know i don't get it so hockey sometimes looks like you're pushing like a dresser down the stairs full of hockey's work. just and people are just soccer. Like, <laughs> you know what i mean it's like and then it's a goal and it's like man you're just like okay well, hockey's like just that. soccer on meth it's just going crazy there's things i like about it too and i get the similarities yeah i mean there's not that many things that are as intense as like watching a playoff hockey game like yeah. you forget to breathe sometimes you're like <laughs> <laughs> like when the puck stops yeah. <laughs> both of you guys are now probably soccer is your primary but both of you loved other sports why is it why this why is this one the one that you come over to my house every week and record the podcast about <laughs> Um, well, like we've said plenty of times before, like, the first thing is that we fell in love with this community before we fell in love with the game. Yeah, but you but, love but the United before that, bro. Yeah, but not, there's a difference in, yeah. Um, but I think one of the main things is, I don't think in any sport there's an equal feeling to a buildup of, of an important goal. You know what I mean? Like, like basketball it's just you score you score you score and there's really nothing to get excited about except a buzzer beater um someone got dunked on or you know the fourth quarter that's it uh the closest thing is probably in baseball when a home run goes off um in a crucial time but yeah that 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 elation you feel when a goal goes in um i don't think there's anything like it in any other sport fair spice man yeah, I'm, you you. I don't still know. Love other sports. I do love you other watch, sports. You watch other sports. You go with your Yankees jersey and your <laughs> New York transplanted friends <laughs> to bars that will remain anonymous probably on this podcast. Sure, sure. And you you watch, but why? What? What? In what ways does this sport move you differently? Oh man, I'm so glad that that you answered the question a little bit before because I that's it's a, it's a hard <laughs> one. Wow, now it's here. It's yeah. really hard. But I do I sincerely do love the sport more than more than more than the others and I think it's has to do with the team that I love more than the others, which is LAFC and yeah, it's part part of it is community. Before LAFC came along, yeah. where was it in your hierarchy? Um <clears throat> it was probably like uh, third. Yeah, just cuz like 
I just I love teams, man. I love I love the mythology behind certain brands and teams. And so when I think about, I would guess the Yankees more so than the Knicks, and then even the Raiders, right? The Raiders have a certain uh, mystique, even though it's been losing for a while. But there is something about the shield that they've built up, the kind of personality around it. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's something about when I when I was starting when I uh, supported United, and there is a mythology around it that I truly begin to love. But um, I think just getting hit by the whole like support your local again and again and finding out what that means and looks like and translate into in Los Angeles was really a rewarding part of like my adult life, right? And so I think I'll treasure that part of it. And also, I don't know, is it, is it as corny as to say like there's nothing simpler than like put the ball in the net, you know, like that's regardless of all the beautiful tactics. That's just put mad into corny, bro. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. No, straight no, up, straight kidding. up. I mean, out of all the no, other the rules. the simplicity of it is, is, a beautiful thing. That's right. why you know it's it's the most played sport in the world. Right. No matter where you're. It's at. also coming from me. Who, if anyone knows, like I don't play and I I, I suck at it. Right. So I, I don't yeah. know yeah. We how were, you can say that, but it's it's strange. I don't like, like running. We were watching. <laughs> we were watching the Super Bowl the other week. I hadn't watched it in a really long time, but Sachi was with me, and she was just like, "So, like, what's happening?" And I was just like, "Give up." Like, give up. Like, we're, you're never going to watch another football game? Like, nope. Like, I'm not even going to even try to explain it. It's so, like, there's certain things about some of the other sports that are, like, it's just inaccessible unless you're going to go, like, all the way in. Sure. And I have never had to say a word about soccer. In fact, like, you know, when even, like, the under whatever's were playing one day, Japan was playing somebody, and we were, like, watching it. And she was, like, into it. Like, calling her parents, and the parents were like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It is the global... There, yeah. are, there are tangible and intangible things about it. Yeah. I think that we could all like cite, but yeah, the only thing you have to explain is offsides. <laughs> and even that is just like get your salt shakers and pepper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be at a Denny's so you can explain this properly. Yeah. Sometimes they argue about it. Can't use your hands. That's what. Thank you for providing a, actually a decent answer. I need to come back with a more profound. This is why, of right, why when writers come on like. The, the storytelling and all that is yeah. just, it's different. Except, yeah, unless you're, like, really rich and then you're really good at, like, storytelling, too. Rich? Shout out to all the future rich people that are going to come. Why are rich people good at storytelling? I've just noticed that about, like, millionaires that <laughs> Where I know. Where's this going, yeah? No, just in general. <laughs> like, like, when you have a conversation with them, it's not, it's like they tell a story every time. All right, like, if you ask them a question, all right, they'll, they'll take you back to, when I was this age, and th- you know what I mean? They'll have like a, old millionaire. It's like Peter Goober. Yeah. 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 I imagine Peter Goober when you're talking. Yeah, about when new millionaires just sit in front of their computers. Are have you, you interviewed Peter, Alicia? No, I haven't. I, th- gotcha, I think gotcha. it's it's a talent that I just seem to see a lot of rich people have. Hmm. Young rich people? Uh, not really. I mean, look how many young rich people are on social media nowadays, man. They have to be. They're actively telling their story again and again. So maybe that is a kind of a universal truth. Yeah. That once you get rich and. Yeah, they have to create content. For a lot of them, unless they're coders. I'm, I'm challenging this notion. I disagree. I think it's just older people are good at telling stories. Younger people just show what they bought or what they did. It's not a story, Josh. Bro. But isn't there a sense of, you? like, I'm Im- if because I'm rich, I'm important. So I'm going to... So own. therefore okay. I have I something should. to share. Oh, okay. That's right. Cool. Yeah, in your face, Alex. Yeah. No, well, he I called mean, you Alex, bro. He's not happy with you today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Scared. thinking out loud, but... No, I, that's, no that's part of valid. what we do back here. But I, I think okay, there's okay, there, there, leisure. Okay, yeah, leisure yeah. Time. I would say that as well. Like leisure. Wait, what do you mean leisure time? What? Lend itself because you would imagine those with more money have more time to be le- and just sort of like, hmm, like to think about their place in the world. 
Instead of buying this yacht, I've got enough time to learn about the history of all these yachts, and then when I buy the yacht, I'll be able to explain the yacht's history. Speaking of yachts, did you guys see the new sick yacht that Bill Gates got? No. It's pretty nasty. Did Billy Gates got a new yacht? Nice little five-story, uh, runs-on-hydrogen yacht, so... But do you think Bill Gates has good stories? Oh, hell yeah, he, dude. But part of me thinks he's not a good storyteller. Part of me thinks you try to talk to me, just like... That's true. I don't know, man. I think you get to a certain, certain proficiency. I feel like you just talk about ideas, and I'd be like, dude, Bill, I can't follow any of this, and I'm getting hungry. Can we go get something to eat? And he's like, I'm already... He says this, but he would be... Hanging on every word that comes You're out of You're an idea, man. man. I wouldn't be that excited to meet the gate man. I it's... bet he's more charismatic than Zuckerberg. Fair. Which Zuckerberg. is a very low bar, I realize, yeah. but... It's weird, because I just see Jesse Eisenberg in my head. I'm just like, oh yeah, Jesse Eisenberg can tell me a story. But that's, <laughs> that's a fictional version of himself Fiction. already. And on the note of Jesse Eisenberg, we're going to take our first break. Yeah. <laughs> Back here with FCFC Pop, we're here with Alicia, and we wanted to know about how, after all the kind of the understanding of the machinations of Chinese soccer happened, how your career with the MLS and covering soccer here stateside kind of um, happened for you. So, I moved to California in 2005 to go to grad school, and I was in a PhD program. Sick. For history, for a long time. And then when I was in the middle of uh, writing my dissertation, and I was like, wow, man, I hate this. <laughs> what was the dissertation on? Uh, <coughs> students from Asia in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. So, like, migration. Um, All over the world or, like, coming to, to the US? United States? Oh, okay. Whoa. That's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting topic, but... So what was happening was I was doing the research, I was getting started on chapters, and then I'd, like, spin my wheels... And I like writing had always come really easy to me. I'm getting to this like lifetime project, this culmination. You know, I have to finish this to get my PhD. This like everything depends on this, and I'm, I'm like freaking out, right? Like, what? How am I gonna get this done? This seems impossible. So, I started reading soccer blogs in like 2010, and um. Like, I feel really arrogant for saying this, but I started reading these blogs and I was like, I feel like I could do this. Like, mm. I feel like I could just start doing this, you know, just as a hobby. Like, I, I don't feel like there's some remove and, like, I can't achieve this. Like, I could do this. Mm. So I started reaching out to people. Can I start writing about soccer? Yeah, yeah, of course. And I feel like in that, like, I was at the tail end of the period of, like, whatever you want to do, like you know, let's all try stuff and mm -hmm. see what sticks kind mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. period. Um, That's still the period. The, f the, fun, <laughs> the fun type of period. Yeah, yeah and... Uh, Especially, like, with blogs and stuff. Yeah. I got an immediate reaction, and it was kind of like a... Like, the gratification I wasn't getting from writing my dissertation, I was getting from writing about soccer because I could write, you know, I could write, like, 600 words in 40 minutes publish it and get an immediate reaction mm. and you know when you write a dissertation like the end game like best case scenario you you turn a you turn it into a book and the book is popular mm -hmm. but in 
85% of the cases, you publish your dissertation, it goes in the library, and like four people in history read it. And it's just like, I worked that hard for that, mm. you know? And I think I got a lot of really good skills out of academia. And I think I realized culturally I was not a good fit for academia. Um, it's just extremely demanding. And I had too much of a priority on having a balance in my life, you know? So, but I wasn't really conscious about this. Like I just started writing about soccer and then I got into Chivas USA when I moved to California um, and Chivas USA was not a, a popular team. So I started getting these opportunities. Like people were asking me, hey, you wanna write about Chivas USA? And I was like, yeah, sounds great. Yep. And like one thing led to another and in a matter of months, I started running the Goat Parade, which is now Angels on Parade. Um, and basically given like, a, you know, have fun, like, do what you want to do, um, mandate. And I just did, I just like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I did that for a couple of years while I was still, um, teaching, you know, just doing it as like a side <coughs> thing. I was getting paid a little bit, but it was just sort of like something that was fun, an outlet, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then, um, in 2013, my funding ran out, I got pregnant and I couldn't get a job at the university anymore. I would have to go outside the university and most universities wouldn't hire ABDs. You know, they would hire like full PhDs. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I was like, okay, what am I gonna do with my life now? I'm pregnant, I need a job. And uh, several months earlier, one of the guys who worked at um, MLS was like, hey, I think we're gonna have a job open. Why don't you uh, put in your application? I did that didn't hear from the boss for like five months and I was like well obviously that didn't go anywhere uh -huh. then my husband and I decided okay we're gonna move to LA because it was like we're only gonna have one income until you get a job so let's figure out what's gonna happen in our lives you mm -hmm. know we're gonna move to LA the very next day I get a call from my boss at MLS and he's like hey we want to hire you and I was like all right <laughs> that sounds great yeah so I pivoted to that I left academia behind for good and um yeah I worked uh six yeah like six and a half years at MLS and then because I was able to do that full-time um as an editor and a writer I could devote the rest of my time to um covering Chivas USA until they died and then covering LAFC as they ramped up and you know up basically up until the present so it's been a pretty pretty wild ride and it's funny because you know like as you get older you sort of think of um you know oh, I've been doing this for like two years and then you think about it it's like oh my god I've been doing this for like nine years at this point <laughs> it's crazy so yeah and for the I think LAFC community like your writing is often <coughs> probably the most consistent LAFC voice like throughout you know um, expansion time and now to um, just even the weekly updates about game recaps and stuff and I think especially in the early days when there was not a lot of people writing about it like there was the blog and there was the, there was Alicia writing about it and attending events right and I think um, even we met really early on at a drum session yep. and 
I mean, I like I look back at the time and I was really naive and a knucklehead, and I, I think I was just so amazed by everything going around at the drum session, and like that's the first time I've ever seen something like that. And um, we were talking about supporter group culture, mm-hmm. and then the biggest thing I, I walked away with from that day, and I'll never forget, is like she's like, yeah, it's like weird to see. Uh, you said it was weird to see such a strong unity within different supporter groups already because they're usually fighting each other, and I couldn't understand that. I was like, why the hell would you fight each other? Um, as when you're supporting the same team and now yeah, I have people. a greater understanding of, of why you do so <laughs> but at the, at the time I think then you were you're a voice that had been a part of it and then as soon as that happened we uh, I started reading what you were writing and um, yeah I just want to say thank you for writing this whole time and like being a part of this journey I think people really have looked forward to you know any anytime you publish something so and uh, maybe it is the academia that that allows for that kind of consistency and that kind of that kind of rhetoric and, and ethic to go into it but um yeah, we're, we're, we're glad that you've been you've been telling this story alongside everybody else. What was it like for you, like having covered Chivas, like as that team was beginning to seem like it was going to disappear? And like, you know, why and why just why did you choose to cover Chivas rather than like any other team or write about teams remotely? Why, why the local team and all that? So one of the ironic things is, um, you know, I think a lot of people, they have who are LAFC supporters have the appeal of like, I'm starting from the ground level, you know, this is a project that I can be in on from the beginning or Mm -hmm. early on. I mean, that was kind of how it was with Chivas USA for me. I really started following them the year after they started. The first year was a disaster, and Mm -hmm. then they were good for a few years. And And they started in 06? 05, they started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, um, but I started covering them like in 2011 and that was when like (laughs) kind of the beginning of the end um so it's been interesting because i got a lot of experience of covering a terrible team Mm. and i'm not just talking about like oh my team lost a bunch of games it was like historically you know like only a few times in american sports have you seen a situation like this where a team is you know slowly liquidated over a period of years you know the the, the results aren't there. They're clearly looking for an exit s- situation. There's like a lame duck period, and then they go out of business. Mm. Like they don't even move; they just go out of business. Mm. Um, for me, it was nice because I could channel that energy. Like if I was feeling furious about what was happening, you know, I could be like, "Why did I spend all this time covering this team and only for it to disappear? Like, you know, what is going on?" Um, and the good thing about, I think if I had stopped there and I had said, you know, I'm gone, like, mm. this is too much, forget it, this sucks, I wouldn't see the other side of things, which fortunately so far, LAFC has been a really good team, the stories around the, the club have been positive, you know, from a little bit of a remove, the supporters seem to get along pretty well. Sure. I think, you know, generally speaking, and... I love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's nice because I've had, I like, I haven't, you know, we had the supporter shield, which was a really big deal to me, um, because I had never covered any kind of trophy before. So Mm. it was like, this is, this is a long time coming. Um, but I think if we get like MLS cup and we get to sort of see the extravaganza around that, I mean, I think that would be sort of like, okay, we've or, you know, like, CCL or something like that, you get to that mountaintop, and you're like, all right, like, I've gone from the team went out of business yesterday to 
you know, the, the top of the mountain. Yeah. So we're just, we're still at a checkpoint. We're trying to get to that finish line. But it, I mean, it's, it's really been positive. And I mean, part of it is because LAFC has been good, you know, there's a lot of like good vibes around the team. And at some point the team is not, you know, the, the, the results aren't going to go well. Don't and speak that evil over us. <laughs> I mean, kidding. no. You know, I would love it if they were just good forever. Yeah, yeah, obviously. At, at some point, there's going to come like some kind of reckoning period where like people are going to be like, I don't care. Like, I'm still into this. Like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll come back. That's fine. This is how sports work. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to be like, actually, uh, the Dodgers look pretty cool right now. <laughs> you know, like they're just going to move on to something else. Yeah. And it's tough in L.A. where there's just so much, many other options. Yeah, of course. And I mean, I think that's what's really cool about LAFC starting well. Um, I know that Atlanta United did really well the year before, so that kind of skewed things a little bit. Mm-hmm. But like, as somebody who watched MLS for a long time, what Atlanta and LAFC did is just so unusual. Hmm. Like, teams just don't come out of the gates with their act together, with a good team, with some stars, with a good, you know, fan base right from the get-go. Like, most of the time, you know, you lose, like, eight games in a row, you know, in April and May, and you're firing your coach mid-season, and you're like, okay, how can we keep people engaged for when, you know, the stadium comes next year? Oh, God. And, they, you know, like, they start, like making like these really risky moves to try and you know get some sort of traction and you know sometimes it works but usually it it backfires and there's Mm -hmm. just this like you know it's it's just a real process and it's like i honestly expected when lafc came in you know probably it'll take two or three years for them to like find their footing and then hopefully by that point they've built a, a decent base and kind of got going but that's not really what happened and i'm really pleased to see that they kind of broke the mold and did it well and we're even seeing like subsequent teams and you know expansion teams are like they don't have their act together Mm -hmm. so it's not like it was just we hit 2017 and now everything you know fine with the world it's like these teams have to do the work Mm -hmm. they have to get lucky but they have to do the work and like really know what they're doing or else you know they're gonna have a really hard time to start with what was the moment where, you know, like you said, you expected it to take two, three years. What was that moment where you were like, oh, okay, this is something else? Uh, the first game. Okay. Um, this is in Seattle. Yeah, so it was, a, it was you know, Seattle was a year removed from the MLS Cup, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. they had gone the year before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay. So, yeah, Toronto Seattle won good. that year. Seattle's, you know, one of the hardest atmospheres you know places for visiting teams to play in the league opening day and then LAFC I think they had like 17 players that first game like Mm -hmm. they were just barely kind of like let's just get this together and see what happens (laughs) um and that was a very lucky game you know because they got the early goal and then Tyler Miller played his ass off after that (laughs) held on for dear life but after all those years of like waiting for a team and for me it was like interminable and there were times when I was writing about the build up to LAFC where I'm like I'm probably banging on about this too much but like this is taking forever you know to get around to it Mm -hmm. but then you see it come together and it's like okay it was worth it like yeah like they actually they did what they said they were going to do and that first win you know you get a young player out of South America you never know how it's going to go 
he scores a goal right away. The star, you know, the, the big star signing sets him up. Yeah. This rather ragtag bunch holds on for a win, and it's like, oh my god, okay, we can do this. Next game was at uh, Real Salt, Salt Lake. Lake yeah. Blew him away. Yep. It was like... This was, by the way, when I was like, are we the best team in the universe right now? <laughs> this, was, this was, by the way, when Slim was. Where were you, Slim? Uh, that first game? I was in the Bahamas. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I say that sadly now, but the more I think about it, I was like, hey, down. screw you guys. I was in the Bahamas. Yeah. No, you're sad. You're sad. You're All right, sad. I was a little sad. <laughs> but the second game, we win 4-1. Is that? 5-1. 5-1. Yeah. Although one of those was way offside. It shouldn't have counted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so I went from, like, well, it'll be nice if they make the playoffs or, you know, they're kind of, like, working towards the playoffs, you know, they're in the mix, to, wow, okay, I, they might really be good. And then, um, obviously, the opening of the stadium, it was, like, this is incredible. Uh-huh. Like, oh, my God. You know, after all those years of covering Chivas USA in the Galaxy Stadium, you know, being, like, in our own house. Yeah, like being <laughs> taunted for years. Mm. You know, like all this racist stuff towards, you know, ironically a team that had some racist elements itself, you uh-huh. know, but there were a lot of good people who worked with that team. Mm. And, you know, the fan base was like, you know, everyone shit on us all the time. And it was just like, it was such a drag. And like one of the things that really, I understand why LAFC was like, we're not Chivas, you know want no part of it but there's a part of me that like when the LAFC supporters are like ugh Chivas god ugh and it's like you don't understand how like people who stuck through that I mean they really stuck through it like Mm. it was just it was so toxic to like show up to games and have no fans you know and have people just like rip on you constantly I'm really glad that the contrast is here now, and it's not like that. It's inclusive. There's obviously a much larger fan base right now, and I hope that it, grow- it continues to grow and is sustainable in the long run. But like, I don't. There's something about yeah, no, like Chivas I, people yeah. that like you yeah. gotta give props. Yeah, I think it's yeah. It's like they survived the, yeah. an abusive relationship. I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's safe to say without some of the key members, especially of the supporter groups. Yeah, um, you know, absolutely. Shout out to Ray and Jimmy and Joseph and yep. um, Julio. Yeah. And like without, you know, the experiences that they had. Oh, and Commander, only, who's, not, who's and in Commander, his 12-year anniversary. Yep, not, yep. not only within the league and like understanding how MLS works, and like the, you know, you could call it like the practical knowledge. I still think it's almost like a... It's almost like a shock trooper mentality that they went through. I mean, they, they saw the hardest thing that you could ever see have happen mm. as a fan or a supporter or someone who just likes anything. Mm. Your favorite restaurant goes out of business, you, you know? You get we set, we you talk know, about you, it here, you, you, yeah. You, you, it droops you down low, but those same people were so instrumental. Some of those same people were so instrumental in helping this. I think it's absolutely, like, it's vital to have had them in order to build what, what I don't think that this, what we have is impossible without certain certain elements of those people yeah. yeah for, for sure. sure like you know and I, I think that I think less and less the Chivas thing will be something that people are like because more and more it's just like okay like this team's good in its own yeah, right like exactly. early on the last thing you want to be is associated with something that like was unsuccessful mm. but now that this team has proven successful thus far mm. like unless like something a huge cliff falls off like sort of like an imaginary thing to say like Chivas 2.0 right like it's just like 
like okay like sure like whatever yeah. like we there's not it doesn't hurt because like there's a track record of this team existing in its own right yeah but um i don't know it's it's interesting and so before when you went to like so you started following this team and then you started covering it like did you get a decent sense of like what chiba's supporter culture was like did you get to watch games in the stands? Like, were you watching games at home? Yeah, I mean, I, I went. I would take my nieces to games sometimes, and I mean, it kind of went through a few different iterations. Like the, you know, when Bob Bradley was there, you know, they went through a big makeover of the team, and they made it much more like we're, you know, a, like basically like a basic MLS team at that point. And they found a lot of success with Bob, and uh, when Precky was leading the team, and there was like a, you know, there was the interest in Mexican players and sort of the like legacy of the Chivas brand and that kind of thing but it was much more like we're part of MLS instead of like we're you know like we're gonna show you how it's done which was how Uh they entered the league and Mm -hmm. you know that turned a lot of people off and I totally Mm -hmm. understand that um yeah they showed the league already (laughs) you know like they showed the league until they you know dissolved they had nothing to show anymore but what was the supporter culture like like for people who you know more maybe never followed the league or never knew what she was usa was i mean we've only ever had folks who were actually in the supporter group like what was it what was it like from your vantage point um well i mean supporter culture and i think kind of the general like fan culture or maybe a little bit different like i mean i you know you name check the the guys who came you know came from Chivas, like the leaders from Chivas who came and played a big role with the 3252. Um, you know, like I knew a lot of the folks in while covering the team and like just doing the consistent coverage, um, got to know a lot of the people in the Union Ultras and the Black Army. And yeah, we like built relationships. But like if you went to a game, so it's at the Galaxy Stadium. I was telling somebody about this today. Like for whatever reason, if you go to a game there on a Saturday night, like now, like, you know, these days, you go to a game there on a Saturday night, the atmosphere is dead, you know? Like, it's just so depressing because, uh-huh. like, sometimes they'll get a good crowd for the games, and I don't know what it is, but Saturday nights, you know, it's like just people are kind of like, whatever. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about the Chivas days was... I knew a lot of people who they had season tickets to both of the LA teams. Mm. So they were just into soccer and it was just yeah, like they might have one kid who's a Galaxy fan and one kid who's a Chivas fan mm. and they you know it was like every week they had a game to go to um, and I think you know if you're somebody who's like used to the like traditional fandom where you know you follow one team and one team only it's hard to conceive of that but I think there's a lot more sports fans like that than we think. Mm-hmm. You know, like, some of the, you know, there's LAFC fans out there who are like, I don't, I mean, the Galaxy are fine. Like, what's the big deal, you know? And those I don't are the people we don't talk to. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm totally no, but think of all those seats in that stadium. I mean, how yeah. many of them are filled with those more casual types of people who just yeah, yeah, of course. or looking for something to do with their fans? Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I'm not here to tell you, like, how you need to be a fan or a supporter. I do think that we need to think sometimes. And, you know, if you're in... Like, if you're an integral part of support support culture, maybe you don't need to think about it, but I think, like, us overall in, like, a wider view, I think we need to think about 
fandom in different ways. Like some people support one player and they follow that player to whatever team they go to mm-hmm. and that's okay. And some people like three yeah, random teams and yeah, you know, sure. that's how they do it. You know, like I think we've been trained. Like I, yeah, it gives you the willies, Josh. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That's but that's, that's, that. I've met people that that's way, interesting sure. because of how you follow Carmelo. And also you guys only got yeah, interested I mean, in Man United. How, wait, how is that way different? Because Carmelo was the best Nick in my in my life. <laughs> but that's the same thing. You're following Carmelo wherever. But you it's go. like Carmelo was never LeBron. You know, what I'm it saying? doesn't matter. No, 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 no. LeBron. It's like it's like saying you're a Michael Jordan fan. That's just like saying you like an underground band. Like, yeah, you're, you're just like, being a hipster about Josh, it. But it's the I mean, same. Now shit. you're against that, Dweez. All of a sudden, Jesus. This is Christ. the episode where we all turn against each other, and this is the last episode we're gonna. Thanks, have. Alicia. <laughs> this is what you did for us. No, we used to have such great, great bonding guys, over this. You guys came to me and United because of. She's on. She's on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like what? And probably after you left, you're still kind of like, where are you playing? Where are you playing, dog? Well, as long because it, it was never in the Premier League. I mean, it was QPR after that, but it yeah. was brief, right? But I and think so those I get, standards yeah. of only liking one team, especially when you're like an ocean away, are probably yeah, no, and you know what? enforced on you rather than like you guys actually feeling that. That's completely fine everywhere except the North End. Just so everyone's yeah. clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, no, like I said, I'm not trying to like dictate how. Like, I'm not saying everybody should be a fan of everything all the time. Like, obviously, yeah. it's okay if you're a fan of one team. Mm. But I do think that sometimes we we get st- like as people who cover teams, as people who are diehard supporters, we we kind of like pen ourselves in and we're like, well, everyone is just like me. They only like this one team forever, sure. no matter what. And it's mm. like that's just not. There are so many different ways to, you know, to, to like a sport and like a team and like, you know, we have to, you know, yeah. understand that. Yep. And clubs and teams of all varieties and all sports are gladly taking money off of all, all yeah. the, <laughs> every kind of scenario that we just discussed, right? But, I mean, but the interesting thing, I think, about what I've seen happen with LAFC, knowing this city, if we like bracket the sports part and like do and look at the community part, is I do think what this sport offers and what this opportunity that the way they've designed this club and hopefully other MLS teams are learning from not only the roster build but like this other part of it yeah is that um yeah like you get you get a whole other list or menu of things like with your participation in this fandom that like while not automatic like yeah you've got to show up and you've got to do things and you've got to like See, but you do get, like we always say, like you got to meet your neighbors. You got to like associate yourself with this city in a way that is, you know, broaches more like on civic identity rather than like sports fandom. Like, yes, I know a lot of like crazy LAFC supporters who like love the team. Yeah, yeah. But like somehow they are different from Raider fans. Like a lot of them, they're not like. I know some Raider fans probably must love Oakland and Josh. When you went up there and you got to see like that last game in Oakland, I'm sure there were some like Oakland people who were like. This not very excited team. for the team's like, future, yeah, you know, for sure. And they're not thrilled about the whole Las Vegas thing. Yeah. But I do think that there's a lot of people that I've come across in conversations we've had on this podcast and off of it where, like, yeah, like, the association with the city, the soil, like, the history of, you know, building a mythology around a club that has no history is also the ways that the dots are connecting around, like, this whole metropolitan area and the sports, the growth, the hotbed that is Southern California soccer and the way that it is, like, associated internationally. Yeah. Right, like I think that 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 whole part of it is a a cool aspect of going head over heels for a team. Um, doesn't mean you have to like, you know, follow any particular script uh, as to like how you support that way. But it is cool that like 
when you enter this community and I hope people who like listen to this and who are sitting elsewhere in the stadium and don't really like ever go over to the north end and know people there that that they know that most of those people from my experience are extremely welcoming and like pretty open to just like hearing your story and having a conversation which is rare in like yeah and I think the interesting thing is that we're talking about the civic identity part which has become a huge part of the club's culture and history of it like maybe that's my only kind of rebuttal to the different ways of supporting which I, I agree with and especially as someone sitting in the north end or standing in the north end like it's different and I understand that but I mean show me another team outside and that's why show me another team that's doing that well and I think I will pay absolute respect and homage to it but maybe that's also me being like I'm demanding too much already out of people who are watching this as entertainment what? and so yeah. that's something that I'm, I'm trying to understand I mean I think that that's that's a great feeling and you would hope that other cities and other places around this country and other places where the game hasn't yet sprung off i mean i would love chongqing fc to like really be about chongqing and it was like really like this expressive yeah. awesome like civic identity sort of like community this way right like instead of like in, yeah i get the spirit of like show me but also like wouldn't it be rad if like this is like an example that people now run towards like slim experience at the isc like all those people asking you guys questions about how you do what you do why the tivos are as dope as they are like how you organize how you work together like i mean i think that that's an even cooler compliment than they're like we're better than everybody else which is obvious like you don't even need to say it when you're the best, <laughs> you're the best you don't even need to say it josh no you're right you're right you're right i mean it's it's not even about saying it you know or not saying it that's fun to josh say it sometimes <laughs> Oh, that's cool. It's, it's it's weird when you, yeah. We, I see we see a lot of the work the work side of it, and I'm trying not to be jaded or bitter at all towards people who are not familiar with it because it's just not what they've been introduced to, you know. But yeah, in your history of kind of covering the club so far, like what have you seen as as like um, like why do you feel like people in the ISC are asking LAFC about like? in the IFC's history, like, why are you different? You know, what have you noticed is, are the differences of um, the LAFC supporter and fan culture in, at large that make people ask questions about, like, how can we adopt certain principles of that and, and, and do something like that? Well, I don't want to speak for people in the IFC, but, <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot of similarities between a handful of cities, fan bases in mm -hmm. MLS with LAFC, Seattle, Portland, mm -hmm. Atlanta, those are cities where the sport took off in a way that no one expected it would, like nationally. Mm. Toronto to an extent. Um, uh, the Wonderwall, uh, yeah. Minnesota. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think that LAFC is the first group to do a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. Sure. However, I mean, to me, from the outside, the... I think the 3252 was super smart in TFO creation, doing small pieces of fabric with the pulley system, mm -hmm. having the choreography, things behind it. I mean, I have to imagine that costs way less money and is a much more efficient use of resources to do than, like, the traditional way is to have the giant banner mm. and to, you All know, painted, yeah. yeah, you know, pull it up through the group by hand but like last year minnesota had this um big tifo for pride mm. that tore oh yeah, yeah, yeah. aboard it they mm. couldn't even show it off so mm. like they spent all this time working on it mm -hmm. and then they had to like throw it in the garbage and never got to use it 
Um, so, like, that's a really, like, small example, but, like, that's an example of, like, an innovation that other uh, stadiums and other supporters groups either couldn't do or hadn't thought to do. Yeah. That it's, like... Because, like, Portland has done the kind of cutout system with TIFO, mm-hmm. but, like, LAFC has done a really good job with, like, deploying TIFO in interesting ways that I think are... To, from the outside, they look like they're way more cost-effective and, like instead of having a giant piece of fabric it's like we're gonna have a mesh and we're gonna put la you know over top of it and Mm -hmm. you know the airflow will be perfect like you've actually thought through the like dynamics of it and it yeah i mean i think that that's fantastic and then they're also great tifo so i mean it's not like you're just you know talking trash or you know doing some kind of dumb inside joke which like some of the supporters groups have done in the past where Mm -hmm. it's like they have an inside joke and it's like no one gets this and this is on fox and like what are you know it's like okay freddie mercury yeah everybody knows about that you know uh raiders of the lost ark awesome like let's do you know mia ham hell yeah like it's really simple imagery that you know you don't have to explain like it comes across instantly so i think that that's been um you know some ways that it's it's been um kind of a step forward i think in terms of MLS support culture. Yeah, I mean, and shout out Gil and Ray who help run our, our TIFO department who have become really astute students of understanding wind and and when things do rip. Because I do remember even our season two TIFO, um, the big gold thing that went up, like there was people literally having to bunch up, you know, pieces of fabrics that were ripping because that was the last one of ours that had before the pulley system that was a huge Tifa overhead. But mm-hmm. I think that's a cool part of this whole experience. And now Sam was really, um, really inspired by the IFC was that it is a learning process from each other. And I think Portland is super interesting because their stadium and their supporter section is just um, physically is wildly different from yeah. ours, right? Yep. And so how they have to stage certain artwork is different from now what a pulley system allows. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's cool to understand like that we have our own flavor and we have our own way of doing things, but that we do take the understandings of like, this thing just can't rip. And that's a great thing. Like there, this can't be so inside baseball that the rest of the rest of the stadium will know what the hell we're talking about, right? right? And on that note, wait. Before, oh, before and that, no note. But while while I uh, just have one more note, in terms of uh, like this whole idea of like civic identity, I think that the Korean chant is gonna bang so much harder now that Parasite also conquered this city. You think so? <laughs> nice. Very you think that, that's hot take? That's my hot take. People are gonna be like, oh shit. We gonna go from language <laughs> significance. Buy Benchy's bootleg t-shirt, by the way. That'll be great to see in the tailgates in the north. Dude, I can't wait. That was a special moment. And on that note. We're back. Alicia is hanging. She got to pick the tea today. Special teams. Baie, white leaf. It's another type of Phoenix oolong. Part of the birthday set that I got, guys. Hey, bro, bro, bro. I just want more and more people who listen to this podcast to go to Tea Habitat in Alhambra and tell them the FCFC podcast sent you, and she's just going to get really confused for like <laughs> a long time. I'm going to let that build and burn for all like three people who will ever go there, and then I'm going to go one day and I'll be like, hey, 
email the FCFC pod sent me. And she's like, what is that? You <laughs> say that to me. I'll finally tell her. It'll be funny. <laughs> she has no idea. I would, I would never tell her that I was doing this. Um, but yeah, it's Phoenix Oolong. We're hanging. Um, I was thinking about what to talk about during this segment, and I realized I want to talk about the <coughs> news. And I don't mean the news, like what is the news, like Bill Gates' yacht. I mean like the concept of news in general, because wow. one thing that... <laughs> We're going deep today, boys. Yeah. Well, one thing that like Alicia and I, the reason we know each other is because she edited and was gracious enough to edit my shoddily put together news articles as I like stumbled through the process of the first couple of years of LAFC uh, when we were both working for MLS. And I'm also curious to just sort of open it up to people about the news, but like, yeah, like y- your day-to-day revolves around like events that are happening. Your half or much more than half of your job, I should say, is about just like information gathering and piecing things together. Do you get stressed out about new stuff? Like, and how quickly you have to post things? And I mean, you seem to have things like out very, very quickly. N- no, I don't stress. <laughs> you don't even stress about it? It just comes natural? Um, the only time I stress is like if I'm on vacation and, um, you know, something really big happens and I'm like, oh, it's kill. It's like a... It's like an internal clock, you know? You're like, oh, but I want to enjoy myself, but I have to... Um, just slip the sunglasses back on, have another mojito, and call it. Just So one time a coach got fired on my birthday. <laughs> and, like, like... I don't know why that's such a funny like sentence. 30 minutes before I was going out with my friends for dinner. Ugh. And I was like, okay, I can just be like, it's my birthday, forget it. Or I can write something up in 15 minutes, just, like, get it off. Oh, my God. And then I'm going to feel so much better about getting something up. And I did. I just, like like I said before, when I was in academia, I was stressing out about writing a 300-page, you know, book and, you know, heavily structured, uh, complex language. And in contrast, like, writing a news article is, like, second nature, you know? Mm. It's just, like... It's okay, like an Instagram can... caption for you. Yeah, kind of. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm at not that point. good at Instagram, so... I... You know what? Writers aren't, uh, apparently, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I play around with it, but, mm. you know. But, no, I mean, it's... it's uh, Some of it's just kind of, like, experience over time, but some of it is just, like, I guess whatever works for my... However my brain ticks, I guess. So, what... Uh, well, how about you, Dweez? Like, the... no, 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 yeah, it know. sounds like you're a little bit stressed. Yeah, about yeah, news. I want to know. I get really stressed about the news. Mm-hmm. All right, and <laughs> okay, but like, he's getting spazzy yeah. as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't even like know how far down the rabbit hole I want to go. Let's go. Sometimes Let's I like take a start peak. digging, baby. I take a peek mentally, like over the cliff. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> really, I'm not gonna go all the way down there. But now knowing the story about, like, academia first, because I always have fantasies, daily fantasies, about going into academia. Like, that I made the wrong turn and pursued, like, culture writing, arts, now doing lots of books, like, with the ghostwriting stuff. And it's like, oh, man, if I could just, like, sit in a room full of dusty books for a while. I go to the USC philosophy library, and I just, like, sit there and pretend some days. Like, in between my shoddily put together copy I'll like look over and be like mm, yes thing so if any SU students catch Dweez in the library well, just knock him out it's just funny because that's, doesn't such, belong that's there. the opposite of news it's like 
yep. take so much time. Like, be pretty far along. Be so far along that you don't even want to, like, look at this topic anymore and then, like, release or publish the information. Versus, like, all right, like, we've got a player who has been mentioned in, like, media in this country. Seems like it could be a real thing. Let's put together a little little story here. We've got a couple couple leads and see, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you know, that'll that'll get put together. It's, it seems like the opposite skill set. Yeah, I think so. But there was no transition period. There was no, like, wait a second. Like, how can I do this all the time? Is that because you just loved it so much and you loved, like, the passion and the joy of following the game was powering you through the, you know, that wanting to put things out in the world and that was enough? Because I would, I would not, I don't know. I have a hard time with anything music related. Yeah, I guess, like I was saying earlier with the instant gratification, I mean, I just really like producing something quickly and... If I want to say something more later, I can write something more. You know, uh. like I can just like I don't have to like. There's times when I write something and I'm like, okay, well, I need to circle back because that's a big story, mm. or uh, I just didn't really get out what I wanted to get out because I was in such a hurry writing the news post. So now I can like reflect on what happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just really like to like I don't know I, like and part of like working at MLS was I was really. I mean, we would have to write a lot in a short amount of time, so I got really accustomed to writing, like, you know, you have, like, we're, you know, they wouldn't, they didn't give me, like, quotas. It's not like they're saying, you need to get this done in 15 minutes, but it was basically, like, okay, allocate, like, 15 minutes to write this post, and then, you know, let's move along Mm -hmm. and get to the next thing. So I just got really used to the workflow of that, but, like I said, I mean, I think some of it is is just whatever, it fits my skill set, so I just kind of started with it and ran with it and so yeah for me it was like oh this is natural i can do this and maybe for you it's like you need the rumination time the time to reflect to uh, think about too much about what it means i'm like still thinking about like you know rodrigo pacheco right like (laughs) for all of you who don't remember rodrigo pacheco i believe he was the first player ever to leave lafc so actually that's not true because they had monday at tim and Carlos Alvarez, those two were on the roster before anyone was ever really there, so they were never really on. But um, I think Pacheco was the only player who got real minutes and then left like that. He was the fastest. Mm. Also the only Argentine player they've ever had, I believe, so far. Mm, Zornamaz. But he never played. The only Argentine player who's ever played. (laughs) But um, I just, like, you know, I remember, like, talking to John about how he found him at Lanús and, like, I ended up writing this whole story about their scouting process, and I just remember just thinking about this guy, you know? I actually, and this will never see the light of day, I went down and watched the Orange County game, you know, watched the only game that he scored in. So he played for Orange County for, like, several games. I don't remember. I want to say it was, like, six games. Mm -hmm. And he scored and got an assist in the game that I went to. Um, They were playing Sacramento, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went down there, and I, like, I wrote down all these notes, and I, I put together this whole thing. And it was like, you know, he was already signed as an LAFC player, so he was technically the first LAFC player to score a goal. Mm-hmm. Like, and although he would never score for LAFC, right, because he was, like, on loan and all that. Um, but, yeah, like, that's the type of nonsense that I, like, get involved in when someone's just like, yeah, let's find out, like, what happened. You know, I'm just like, okay, you know. So I, <laughs> I do, like, want to produce an academic tome about the Rodrigo Pacheco signing. <laughs> like, 
talk to John Thorrington about like how much time exactly did you sit on that like wet bench in Labuse, like watching this guy before you decided he was a good signing? Not only because he was obviously not a good signing in the end and was just like a horrible fit for like the team's culture, it seemed like, and like like seemed to gain weight and all this stuff, but like those are the type of things that interest me, right? Like we got the quick hits. Like Rich, Rich sometimes calls it the flash fry. <laughs> like, <laughs> like when Adama Diamande missed an NYCFC when we almost mm. came back in one three two, and he was Rich was livid. And Rich, if you're listening to this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. He was livid in the stands, and he was just like, "Oh!" And I'm like, "Man!" But it was like it was like great the way this like game all came together. And yeah. I was thinking about what it meant like that that they drew again two two and this whole thing. And Rich was like, "No, man, I want the flash fry. Like I want it now." And to me, that's like what news is. Just it's like there and it's, it hits you. And I and I like. I think as a person, I just need more time to to gather. And like, Josh, you talked about writing that Instagram caption, right? About when uh, Parasite won mm-hmm. and what it meant. Yeah. And you like how you talk about like having to like, how much how much time did you spend on that? I'm just curious. I had to sit down and write it. It took me more than 15 minutes, so I'm, I'm, I'm very intimidated right now. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably like, like 20 or 30. Yeah, just like, I, there's some things I wanted to get to say, but like, you don't really know what it sounds like unless it's on the page, right? And yeah. so. I mean, and there's obviously like different kinds of writing, but I mean, that was that was news, right? Like you needed to get that out. Like it yeah. just happened. It wouldn't make sense to like post it now. Right, right, right. Right, even it's only two days later or three days later as we're, as we're recording, but. Yeah, and I'm like completely different from all of you where, or I don't know about you, but f- from you two for sure, where like if I try to write out my thoughts, it doesn't come out as good as if I just say it on the fly. Like I'm so extroverted that the way my thoughts mm-hmm. process I don't, like, sometimes I'll make discoveries of what I think about things as I'm talking about them. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm like, I'll say it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I did think that. Like, yeah. my mouth moves faster than my brain, guys. Yeah. I mean, for sure, I think it's a slightly different muscle to, to have to even speak on the podcast rather than to write it itself, right? Mm-hmm. You you do realize different things because you're able to speak it out loud first. Mm-hmm. But also, I look like, I'm like a muttering idiot when I'm writing, so I'm just like, under my breath, just like, ha da da I'm just like chanting like, like when, when you I'm first writing. started doing the multiplication tables and stuff yeah yeah just straight up three, it's, a mem- it's a memorization <laughs> thing you know it's it's a, it's a mnemonic device yeah, yeah, yeah is there somewhere in between where you want to chase where it's you know not just the, the quick hits that there's a larger story that you want to tell that maybe not even a book stuff but it is it is going to become like this feature that or around a player or a team or a cultural event that you feel like is worth kind of you really delving deeper into yeah i mean that's something i would definitely be interested in it is kind of stretching my legs a little bit and um you know doing more features and i mean i just got a new job so it'll be dependent on kind of what's what's available to me and kind of you know research like time wise can i put the time into doing this or Uh is it gonna be something where i just have to move pretty fast and be nimble and you know maybe the features will go on the back burner but yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely interested in that. And I know that, Alex, you wrote, you wrote for Holler before. Like, they were a good outlet in terms of giving people a chance to yeah. do different kinds of stuff like that and content that wasn't, um, you really couldn't find elsewhere. And um, I hope that there's other places where people can do stuff like that. Because that's, you know, that's cool stuff that, like, I'm a big believer in, like, the whole ecosystem. And, like, we all have a part you know, like this podcast has a part, you know, the sites that I work on have a part and we're all building like this tapestry of the story of, you know, this club, what we're doing here and, you know, at this point and like making like a, like an archive as we're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
so yeah I mean I'm definitely interested in, in branching out but I also it's a little bit of like make sure I stay in my lane and do what I know I can do but uh-huh. also you know try things when I have the opportunity to try them that's where the academic part comes back in looking back at the archive the mass amount of information yeah. Ooh, now we've got ourselves like a a volume here the a common thread, and right? I was focused on the tome and they were building the library guys <laughs> no like I, in all seriousness though because instead of continuing down on my news nosedive into nothingness if you want to alliterate uh, Alicia can we talk a little bit about like the new gig you have and like what it's going to be like to to report on different teams because I know like when, when you came over I was like oh it's was, it was cool to see that you're you know still with Breacher Report because there was a time where you know SB we weren't sure I'm sorry yeah SB Nation where we weren't sure if uh... yeah I don't know if uh, if the listeners are going to love my my new gig in its totality but, uh, here <laughs> leave that part well, out also, that but I'm also like. interested good. to hear how you like plan to you know. yeah so I I was laid off by SB Nation at the end of last year over the freelancer law in California. And then that put me in a temporary tailspin because um, it affected potentially my other job too. And so I went from like, you know, obviously in this line of work, like steady jobs are hard to come by and you never know what's going to happen for any of us. But like, I went from having something pretty steady that I'd had for years to like, maybe I have no job all of a sudden. Yeah. And um, happily, SB Nation, they decided to do a reorganization of how they're operating California, their team sites. And so they hired me. Um, and so far, I've been working on the, on the soccer sites. So we have uh, the LAFC site that I've been running, Angels on Parade. <coughs> they have a Quake site. They've got a Sacramento Republic site because they'll be coming into the uh, MLS in a couple of years. And they have a Galaxy site, and I'm working on that too. And yeah, so I'm just working on the California soccer sites. Um, and it's a different it's a different opportunity, and it's a full time gig, so it's something I'm really excited about. Um, you know, I can sp- hopefully spend a little more time kind of thinking about, all right, how can I content plan and do something different? Yeah. Um, you know, again, I'm not sure exactly how. It's going to shake out, but I do have an opportunity to do different stuff. And now I can, at MLS, I was covering all the teams, but so I can kind of continue doing that through the various California teams. Mm. Is it, you know, is it a relief now that you don't have to cover, you don't have to know as many teams and all the happenings going on, or you think like naturally you're still gonna know what's going on in yeah, Houston? Yeah, I'm, I'm a completist, so mm. I'll probably still be watching all the <laughs> oh games. My God. Yeah, um, I mean, like for those who didn't know, I edited uh, MLS games for the last seven seasons, and in a given weekend, I would well in a given week because I would usually work weeknights mm-hmm. um, games. In a given week, I would probably work on anywhere from two to twelve games. So, like I like I watch a lot of games. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited because I keep to, I get to keep watching games. Yeah. Um, obviously, if I had to do something else for a job, that would probably have to stop. So I get to you know keep doing it. But um, no, I mean I just really like I said I really like soccer. So I'm really comfortable watching MLS. I think the the the, st- the standard of play has gotten so much better, so it's really fun to watch, you know, 
players torch each other and mm-hmm. you know there's still crazy games there aren't nearly as many boring games as there used to be so mm-hmm. um no have, i mean i'm excited do you have time to watch other leagues yeah sometimes i usually i listen to a lot of podcasts mm. so that's usually how i stay up to date with um you know like what's happening in europe mostly um i do watch games but i'm not like i'm not hardcore you know like if there's something on or if i want to watch you know champions league while i'm working or something like that i'll do that or if it's a sunday morning and i want to watch what's whatever the premier league game is that's going on i'll do that mm-hmm. but um i mean i'm following what's happening because like that's helpful if i'm following what's happening in england and then an mls team signs you know a guy from burnley i'll be like oh yeah that guy i might not know everything about him but it's like Oh, I remember. Yeah. Oh, I remember. You know, he spent a little while at Malmo, and he was really good at Malmo, and then he went to Burnley, and he didn't do that much. But uh-huh. you know, like, kind of have a sense, so that way, when I'm writing that quick hit, gotcha. I already have that knowledge base, so I can. And it's not, it's not like homework. It's just like I like doing it, so I can just leverage that into what I'm doing for my job. Alicia used a word that terrified me to no extent, which is called completist, and to think about like. That, okay, I think that now I've now pinpointed the reason why I needed to take no soccer November. Uh, last November when I just, like, cold turkey, everything was off, no news. <coughs> I didn't find out about something really important that happened until, like, way late. I forget who it was. Um, but between all the LAFC writing and the MLS writing and then the Carlos Vela story for LA Mag and then the NBC Sports show that I did, the Premier League show, the 10-episode mm-hmm. ten, Premier League show, I justified every single minute of soccer consumption for like, I don't even know. Like I was just like, I remember walking out to the car one day with my phone out watching you under, you 23 somethings. And I was just like, yeah, because it might like affect, and I thought you just like, you've got to stop. Like, that was like in August. So I still like went on for like three more months of just like, man, it was, it was intense. And you know, what's funny is I think like, the, in the effort of trying to be a completist, I also like went towards like some like other dimension that I also went for and for rap music when I used to write about rap music. Like, mm-hmm. I would know every single release that was coming out. I would know the producers behind every song, like the symbolism of the album covers. Like when I was like really really deep in the music thing, that was like, and I burned out, you know. Yeah. And I and I think I also somewhat burned out, still kind of thawing from the burnout right now. Um, obviously, because I'm like not gonna do MLS coverage anymore, but. Yeah, I, I think that I, br- I bring up news because I'm still trying to understand why and how news gets the better of me. And like, <laughs> yeah, like, and and you like, but you you can like scr- freely scroll on your phone like through Instagram, through Twitter, through everything, and it never like alarm bells never start ringing of just like, dude, I've just spent, been on this for like an hour. Oh no, I have timers on my oh, my shit now where I'm just like, all right, put it down. <laughs> how long are the timers? Don't worry about it. <laughs> How long? Two hours? Uh, Instagram is like an hour and a half. Um, Look how regimented that is. That's awesome. Look at you. Actually, face, does Facebook have a timer? I mean, I thought you were just Facebook. talking. Yeah. I mean, he. <laughs> oh, no, like Instagram he's a actually. Facebook power user right yeah, here. He Instagram has like an actual like timer that like. Oh, pops. that'll beep? Real. It, it just, it pops up. Well, you can up. set a notification yeah. on your phone oh, for okay, like okay. any app. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Then yeah, I should probably do that for Facebook too. I spend way too much time on that shit. But so like that, this was the hard, one of the hardest parts of like covering news and like going out and yeah, getting stories and like. Yeah, I get that. 
for me, but it's not an issue at all for you. No, and I'll say that, I mean, I get burnout. Like, my coworkers and I at MLS, like, at the end of the season, we would always be like, okay, I'm ready for the season to end because, you know, we've been working hardcore for, like, eight months mm-hmm. of games, and you're just like, I'm ready for the off season. Yeah. Like, it's time. So I definitely felt that, but um, I think... Like, I have the passion, and, like, even when I'm, like, when we're in the car going out to eat, you know, like, I'm checking social media, like, what's going on? But it's uh-huh. casual. It's not a, it's not a, like, I feel like I'm, like, tensed up. Like, you're just like, yeah, I'll just, you know, check it out. I'm like, dude, I'm checking it out. I'm checking it out. Yeah, I feel <laughs> yeah. like you, you're checking it out would be, like, you would, like, block out, like, an hour or two of time and just, like, all right, this is when I'm going to, like social media yeah. but like my husband doesn't like soccer like uh-huh. he likes to watch mexico out of like a you know like a, a pride for his country yeah like yeah korea um but he doesn't really like soccer that much mm-hmm. so i think it's helpful because i'm spending all day like listening to podcasts surfing the web looking at social media writing yeah. stuff up mm-hmm. like just really fully immersed in everything watching games mm-hmm. totally immersed in everything but like he doesn't really like that stuff, so it's not like we're going and watching, you know, a documentary about a team together. Mm. We're not watching games together. So it's like, that's kind of my, like, timer is, like, okay, I need to spend time with my family. You know, I can walk away and watch, you know, binge this Netflix show or whatever, yeah. and that's my way of, like... Like, there's been times, especially when my daughter was young, where I was like, I can't do it all. It's hard. It's so hard to, like feel like I'm being a good mother and feel like I'm doing a good job and, you know, trying to be present as a wife and everything like that. Um, it's a lot easier now. Um, but like, I've gotten used to like, okay, it's Sunday. Like this is the day I spend with my family. Generally, you know, we're just going to go have a good day, go to a movie, whatever. And then the rest of the week I'm like hardcore, like, yeah, all right. Like I'm like, I'm going to town because I, that's what I do. So. Well, I give you a lot of props for not getting burned out, and now I can sort of see how someone could do this for this long and not lose their passion for the game, which is something I've genuinely been worried about, same that happened with rap. But um, transition from talking about that news to talking about the news we all want to hear, I think we'd be remiss if we don't talk about NWSL to LA when mm-hmm. we have Alicia here. Mm-hmm. She's been writing articles in and about that topic. <laughs> Probably those were some of the first articles I ever yeah. read about, you know, women's soccer in Los Angeles in this in this era at least. Um, is it gonna ever happen? Do you think? I mean, there's a part of me that thinks it's absurd that it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. You know, like there was obviously a, a earlier iteration of a women's pro team that like flamed out really quickly. Um, Where they play? In Carson. Gotcha. It was the Soul, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they were Marta good. Played. Yeah, they were really good. But then they just, the owner was like, mm, I'm done. Mm. Nah. Um, How many seasons was that? Marta was playing there? Yeah. yeah. I wow. think it was one, I think. Um, but there's never been a, a team in California in the NWSL, and the NWSL is going into its sixth season, I believe. Hmm. That's crazy. Uh, or seventh, sixth mm-hmm. or seventh. Um, so it's the longest women's league by far to date. Um, it's still, you know fledgling it's kind of like mls at this stage it was like there were some rocky moments you know mm-hmm. and i think nwsl is in a similar position but like to me it's just absurd there are so many women's players in california there are so many fans in california of women's soccer yeah 
you know, the weather's great. So it's not like, you know, it's not like we're in a place where, like, there's going to be snow outs for, you know, the first six games of the season. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, you know, it's like, it just doesn't, I understand that they need to have a good ownership who's committed to it through the long haul, that kind of thing. But I mean, I like every year, like there was a few years ago that the NWSL draft was in LA and I covered it. And, uh, you know, we asked about expansion and they were like, yeah, we're really interested in Los Angeles. It's a really exciting um, possibility. We're looking into it. You know, I got really excited. And like every year that's the refrain. We're so excited about Los Angeles. And it's like, all right, but like, when is Are you though? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to see. Like, there's been some instability in the league. They're going through some changes as far as their structure. Um, and that's kind of ongoing. So, I mean, I don't know. I hope they resolve that pretty quickly. I think, in a lot of ways, the league is in a, in a good place. Like, I don't want to say, like, I think it's going to go bust at any moment. Mm. I think it's in a, it's in a, a pretty good place. But it still has a lot of growth to do. And I understand that they want to be deliberate with expansion. But, I mean, it's like how... You know, like, it was funny because the, the Mia Ham cameo that came out, like, a week ago... Mm-hmm. I got a sense that her tone had changed a little bit. Because I've talked to her before about NWSL. And she was like, yeah, I'm so excited about that. You know, I really want to have... You know, at the right time, mm-hmm. I want to make that happen. Yeah. That's one of my goals. Mm-hmm. And that was so exciting to hear. Mm-hmm. And, like, in that cameo, she's like, yeah, you know, I really want it. And, like, I got, like, kind of a read. I mean, you know, she might have been tired that day. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I got a sense that she was sort of like, you know, when we get around to it, like, we'll see kind of thing. And that was, it was like, ah, okay. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that... Oh. Obviously, there's a market, and I think LAFC seems like a, a club that could easily put something out that was attractive and could draw a, a good audience, perhaps one of the best audiences in the league, and that wouldn't be that hard. But they would have to do it right, and like, you know, they've done it right with the MLS team, but yeah, it's, it's been really disheartening on one hand for me to see you know, the, like, it being dangled and yeah. just, it hasn't happened. And maybe it's <coughs> like it was, you know, with LAFC, like, having to wait three years for a team to come around and just being like, this is taking forever. When is this going to happen? Maybe it's the same thing. And maybe in hindsight, I'll be like, it, it, you know, it had to be like this. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, there's so much promise. The other thing is, like, right now in NWSL, there's, uh, Portland is extremely popular to play in. Like, the players who do get a say, like, either Portland or Seattle are usually, well, now it's Tacoma, but those are their two, usually the, like, two biggest draws is, like, I play college in Portland, I want to go back to Portland. I feel like L.A. would have a, you know, much like in men's sports, you know, NBA players want to play in L.A. and Miami, that kind of thing. I think it'd be a similar thing where it's, like, I'm from, you know, Orange County, I want to come back home, or, you know, I'm from the Bay Area, I want to go to L.A. I played soccer at UCLA or at SC. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, I think that they would not have any trouble finding talent and Mm. stars. But it's a matter of, you know, putting their money where the mouths are, and I don't know when that's going to happen. What can can you say to to fans of, um, you know, the the women's game and also trying to make a women's team happen here in L.A.? What what are some steps they can do to be more active in 
trying to get that um, to be created? Is it attending as many women's teams matches out here? Is like, is it as simple as like petitioning? Like, what 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 are things that that can show if the 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 that if the dollar is the bottom benchmark? Like, let's let's really make sure that they know that we're ready to give that. Yeah, that's a great question. One thing that I found in my work is that people in important positions read what I write. Like, cool. I can't tell you how many times people from clubs or the league awesome. or other, you know, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, I read your work all the time. And the thing is, the same goes for fans. Like, obviously, there are those on social media who are screaming into a void. And I think we know the type. Yep. But I think if, you know, like that bring NWSL to L.A. social media campaign and, you know, like grassroots movement. I think that's fantastic. They're Shout doing, out to Mark and Lindsay. Yeah, they're yeah. doing a fantastic job, like keeping it in the, you know, in the consciousness, like keeping people thinking about that goal. And I think, yeah, like pretty much even if you're just like speaking up and being like, look, if there was a women's team. I would support that. Like, I would go to games, mm-hmm. you know, I and obviously mean it. But, like, there's still a lot of stigma around, you know, is women's soccer really, like, important or good? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, you just have to kind of shout that down, right? Like, right. Mm-hmm. you know, the American women are quite possibly, like, right now, this team is quite possibly the best team we have ever seen, mm-hmm. you know? And, like there's more where that came from and you know it's a growing league it's something that like if you're an LAFC person who's who's who likes being in on the ground floor you can do that all over again it's something that arguably can be more meaningful over time you know like really sinking roots into women's pro sports which obviously is not as far along as men's pro sports yeah things like that um yeah, I mean, obviously getting out to games, that's good, but it's also just saying, like, I want a club scene, you know, a pro club scene, and not just to go to the, you know, national team games three times a year when they come here. Like, I want to have something every week. Like, mm. I'm willing to, you know, devote my fandom, become a supporter of that as well, and, I, you know, you need to, you need to bring that, you know, give me an outlet for that, yeah. right, mm. that kind of thing. And I think if... The more that people are are out there saying, I'm I will commit if you bring it. Mm. I think the more likely interested parties will be like, you know what? I think this is actually something that we can make work because we're hearing more and more people. You know, we're hearing thousands of people saying that they're going to be doing this. So let's let's do it. Right. Yeah. And with the Olympic season coming up, I mean, this is we talked about not necessarily having those the the olympic team to be almost as a crutch because i think it's it's almost shameful how we we put them on a pedestal and then we don't we the light is completely gone after a big world cup or the olympic game but i know mark and Lindsay will have a big heart for after seeing you know another possibly very successful u.s women teams in the olympic in tokyo this year to to turn that narrative into why can't we have this every weekend and week out, right? Yeah. And so there will be plenty of opportunities for you to, for fans of both the men's and women's games to showcase that, right. whether that's on social or whether that's through watch parties. I know um, it was really cool talking to like Mo and even Eddie from and Fern from Bada76 who made it a point to when the, the women's team came to play at the bank, that that was their first official event there was to support the women who have been kicking ass for, you know, for, for a country for a long time here. Yeah. So funny thing is I also feel like with my limited understanding of the NWSL that a team in LA would tip the scales in terms of their own survival 
Do you know what I mean? Like it could be one of the pieces that's missing in order to like reach that critical threshold to then like, oh wait, look, it's working in LA and like, you know what I mean? Right. Like NWSL 2.0. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And like, and like you brought up earlier, like Portland and Seattle and other cities that have been important to supporter culture. And this isn't, it's hard not to think in Los Angeles terms when we're on this podcast or here and all that, but like Los Angeles is so important to American soccer. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the most important to American soccer, I would say, like in terms of like a develop from a development standpoint, it's not to say that other people can't contribute, but like imagine having no MLS team in Los Angeles at all. Right. Considering the like the fact that like this is now the place where like one of the most exciting teams and the historically best team exists. Like can you imagine what like American soccer how it would be affected if these two teams didn't exist? And like in addition to the fact that, you know, the the sports culture, like it's always belonged here, you know, given like the makeup of the of the region and and all of that. So it's it's almost like the funny thing is, yeah, like we want it for LA but like everyone else in the country should also probably want yeah. it for LA because it would help it would do yeah. wonders for the for the growth of that league I think and like I've said before I think when Lindsay Connor, I'm convinced that if NWSL doesn't have those kind of bumps soon then we'll always be sending the best players to Europe too because their leagues are going so quickly that like you'll miss the chance NWSL will become a similar league not quite like MLS but I have a feeling you know the way that like even like I, you know, I'm so addicted to the Arsenal channels. Like the way that Arsenal media and AFTV are now covering the Arsenal ladies, yeah. and like how those teams are getting more and more attendances. Like those, they're just gonna naturally be the destination for well, the best players in the world. I don't know. You don't think so? I mean, it, that could very well happen, but by and large in Europe, it's new. So like Arsenal is one of the few teams that's been like the women's team has been around for quite a long time. They have a good track record. Like uh-huh. they've they've done the legwork for a long time. Yeah. But like Manchester United just started a team like two years ago. Yeah. They're in the first tier for the first time. <laughs> Late to the party. Um, Real Madrid just started a team. Ooh, also Crazy. Boo. Second you know, like favorite stuff team. like that. Like so it could happen that Europe just surpasses NWSL, but I would hesitate to be like, okay, because in men's soccer, uh, Europe is better, then therefore it's automatically going to be better in women's soccer too. Because, like, I mean, I, I've i seen this story before. Like, women's sports gets commitment for a year or two, and then an owner decides to tighten the belt, and the first thing to go is the women's team, you know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah. I hope that in Europe this increased investment is sustainable and continues and uh-huh. At the very least, I want the European leagues to grow as a way to expand what's possible for women's soccer, for sure. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think that there's a lot of people who are oriented towards Europe who think, okay, well, Europe is automatically going to be better. And it's like, well, I'll believe it when I see it. You know what I mean? Fair. Gotcha. That's fair. I'll defer to Alicia. Maybe I'm overhyping it. I just get scared when I see, like, good, like, they got this infrastructure already and they can just, like, ship off, like coaches that want to make it in those leagues to like the women's teams first and I mean just like the, you know there's so many you just want to defer to Arsenal fan TV no I don't that's, actually, that's I actually think right it's now. sad that I just I guess maybe in five years maybe that still won't happen but I worry like in ten years if NWSL was still sort of like going slow and like say there wasn't a team in LA and like by then like unless something changed in Europe like I would wonder if if those those leagues would be more established and like players no, that should be a bummer that's totally fair and I think the fact that Europe is putting in sustained investment right now 
means that NWSL should be like, okay, we need to like ramp this up. You know, we need to get serious about the next phase of our existence, like right now, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So yeah, that's a good point. I want America to participate in the world's game at the highest level, y'all. And that's the next mission for all you listeners. Let's get NWSL to LA. And on that note, this has been another episode of the FCFC Pod. Thanks for listening in. We'll see y'all next week. Yay.